This is the School Success Podcast, a podcast for school leaders to learn from other school leaders what's working and what's not, and to get inspiration and encouragement, as well as strategies to grow school enrollment, connect with families, retain teachers, recruit teachers, and everything in between. You guys are heroes, and I cannot thank you enough for pouring into this next generation that's coming behind us. My goal is you will take at least one thing away from every episode that you can take back to your school to make it better than it is right now. Please enjoy the School Success Podcast. Hey, School Success Makers. Today, we're joined by my new friend, Carl, out of the great state of Connecticut. He is the principal at a Christian school there, and he is doing amazing things. He's a great guy with an awesome personality, and I know you guys are going to love this one. So stay tuned for this next episode of the School Success Podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the School Success Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Slater. I'm joined by a new Friend, guys, out of Trumbull, Connecticut, it is Carl Simon, who is the upper school principal of Christian Heritage School, and they're doing some cool things. Now, when I say upper school, guys, it's, he's actually 6th through 12th graders. He made sure to inform me, and then there's somebody that handles the lower, lower ones, but he is managing multiple grades. They're doing some sweet things in the great state of Connecticut, which I have yet to visit, but one day I will. And uh, we'll dive into that in just a second because I want to hear about Connecticut. But I don't like taking any thunder away from our guests, so I want to pass it off to him to introduce himself. So, Carl, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here. It's going to be a fun time, man. And if it, if I ever make it to Connecticut to have a fun time, what are we going to do, Carl? What's fun to do in Connecticut? So I think right off the bat, we need to go fun shirt shopping because this is, you know, you said you like my shirt. So we need to go maybe get some, like, like a buddy comedy, like shirt, like multiple, like matching shirts. So we'll, we'll start there. But Connecticut, known for lots of things, I think we have enjoyed most. So this is my first year living in Connecticut. Originally a Rhode Island native and started my teaching career in Boston and then was moved to Charlotte for about 11 years. And so we've moved from Charlotte to Connecticut. So the, the fall was great in the South. Sometimes the fall lingers through the summer. So my kids enjoyed some of the seasons and got our fill of everything apple this fall. I think New England does fall really well. And then winter hit. And so that was the first time that my kids like had seen like legitimate snow that we didn't have to drive and go find at like a tubing park or anything. It's a new world when the snow like comes to your house uh, and you can just walk out the back deck and jump off the back deck and, and you're in snow. So but we have uh, thoroughly enjoyed our time in Connecticut. We have some family here that we're a lot closer to now. So the grandparents are excited that we moved back from the South. We have uh, another set of grandparents that we left in the South, but they've they had 10 years. And so now we're on that rotation every every 10 years, I guess we have to go find new, new grandparents. But we are uh, excited to be here. And this is our first year, like you said, first year at Christian Heritage School in Trumbull. Man, that's exciting. And I will say, you said you're from, you know, we lived in Rhode Island. I feel like Rhode Island and Connecticut, at least from the people I've met in my life, those are the states I never feel like I meet people from. Like, they, oh, I'm from Rhode Island. I don't think I've actually ever met somebody that said they're from Rhode Island. It's just, I don't know, just for wherever people I meet, it doesn't come up. New York comes up all the time, the Carolinas, the South. Uh, but yeah, Rhode Island, I mean, what's that? Was that a cool state to live in? So there aren't that many of us from Rhode Island, um, just because that not many can fit in Rhode Island. But I, so 
yeah, so lifelong New Englander, <clears throat> excuse me, um, moving out of New England into the South uh, gave me a whole new appreciation for modern conveniences of air conditioning. Uh, but we loved growing up, or I loved growing up in, in New England. It, it's funny, you know, my kid's perspective of going to the beach, you know, the water in North Carolina is like 75 degrees bath water. The, the water in New England, you, you need kind of an attitude to go to the beach. Um, not just because of the water temperature, but just the topography is a lot different. So like when you walk into a North Carolina beach, you're walking into a very gradual, welcoming, warm environment. Like there's dolphins that give you hugs. And when you're in a New England beach, like it's going to punch you in the face. Like you're going to fight that wave when you get in there. So that was fun for me as a dad to like sort of watch my kids get pummeled. But also knowing that that's sort of like that Angela Duckworth, like that's grit, right? Like you want to get in there. That's a life lesson. Like you got hit in the face by a wave and you get back up or you better or else the undertow is going to carry you to Portugal. So that's sort of like th those kind of strong, type, tough life lessons. I think you can only find in New England beaches. And when you say 75 for North Carolina, I'm like, oh, that's still a little chilly because I'm here in South Florida and we'll go swimming. I mean, we swam this past year on Christmas day. I remember going to the beach and swimming in the water. And I was like, this is awesome. And it was chilly water for my, my taste, but in the summer, like right now, if we were to go swimming, it is definitely in the eighties, if not already into the nineties on a really hot day, of the water, because I remember going a time I was swimming with my brother and, and I literally it was, it was, the water was hot. Like it wasn't refreshing and we yeah, literally yeah. swam down eight to ten feet to cool off in the part that was cold and i was like yeah. it was nuts like <laughs> so hot yeah uh, well i love that i love uh that you finished up your first year i'm excited to learn a little bit about that we'll kind of dive into uh your school before i talk about the first couple of questions i had tell me a little bit about the school that you're at how long you guys have been there and kind of what the you know your bread and butter maybe is there at the school yeah so Christian Heritage School, Trumbull, Connecticut. This is my first year um, as the upper school principal. It is a uh, obviously Christian school. We are not affiliated with the church. We've got about 90 different churches that are part of our student body. So, you know, that provides a wonderful fabric of diversity, not just within the you know, the students themselves, but sort of the, the denominations that they're coming from and what they believe and how they believe. Now, obviously, as a Christian school, when you have a lot of churches that are represented, you have a lot of different ideas and thoughts about how things should be done. And that has provided for some great opportunities for discussion about, you know, how you can have different beliefs and take different paths, but the path all leads back to the same endpoint. And so, you know, we unabashedly believe that Jesus Christ is our savior. And, and we are teaching our kids that every day, not just in our Bible classes, but, you know, really how we live out our profession. You know, we're not in math class teaching, you know, if there's 12 disciples in a boat and two fell out, but Jesus walked on water. Like what's the remainder, you know, like we're teaching AP Calc and we're teaching AP government. And, you know, we really feel called to teach well and to teach with excellence and to teach with rigor. Um, and we feel like if Jesus was going to design a school curriculum, he would want the hard stuff taught and he would want conversations about books and conversations about topics and conversations about theology and how we interact with different religions and people who believe different things and how we can be in the world, but not of the world. And so, 
you know, we wrestle through a lot of different things that kids just come and, and, and bring in from home. We don't require our students to, to be uh, believers. We don't have families sign, you know, a, a statement of faith. Um, we have some families here who, you know, are, came to us because we're a great school. And I think that says a lot about who we are as a school, the product that we're offering and the, and the people that we have teaching our kids. You know, I've worked with some of the finest teachers in the in in the the United States, and I would put the teachers that I have here up against any one of them. So, you know, I think it it says a lot. One, when we have families who are attracted to us because of our convictions and what we stand on in our biblical principles, but I also think it says a lot about who we are as a school. When we have families that say, "Hey, I I, I really like the product that you guys." Are producing in, in the classroom. And then we have an opportunity to, to witness those families as well. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I think the mix of the types of families and the types of kids that we have here is wonderful. And actually one of the reasons why we were excited to come to Connecticut. Awesome. And student size right now at the school enrollment, what, what are you guys at? So enrollment kind of when all things are said and done will be about 400 K through 12. Okay. Well, and you guys have room to grow to get to fill more seats. You guys have capacity. Yeah. yeah. So room to grow. If we're doing a little admissions commercial, we have some slots in a few different grades, but yeah, so numbers are looking great for next year. Numbers have been on the incline. You know, I think every school, every private school in the country had, had a, a COVID hit. We actually saw our, our student enrollment rise a little bit during COVID because of the type of product that we are still able to to produce with our virtual classes compared to some of the other schools and other public schools around here. So, uh, yeah, I mean, COVID kind of knocked out a lot of stuff. You know, one of the things that we're we're proud of is that we were able to weather the storm pretty well with the instruction that we were delivering. Good deal. Well, I know with that, there's some challenges I'm sure with your school. So, kind of first question, love to hear some of the challenges you guys are currently up against and facing, but. Also, how are you combating those so the schools that are listening can be like, oh, I have that same challenge and I'd love to hear what another school is doing to fight it. Yeah. So that's a, you know, a massive question. I think one of the biggest challenges that we faced this year was, and hopefully we won't have to do this again, was sort of the stop and start of COVID. You know, like we would plan an event and then we would have our COVID cases rise or we would say, all right, let's lay low for a while and not plan anything and just sort of sit, you know, twiddling our thumbs a little bit. So one of the things that we struggled with, and I think probably a lot of schools struggle with this, is the sort of lack of social opportunities that we were able to provide for our kids almost until right at the very end of the school year. And so, you know, like a lot of schools around the country, our, our mask mandate came off uh, or, the, or the mask mandate ended actually providentially right before our musical. So the happiest kids in the school were the ones that were in the musical, my daughter included in that. So that was kind of the first taste of normalcy that our kids had had in about two and a half years. And so as we, you know, we saw a lot of the kids, you know, obviously taking their masks off and throwing them up like graduation hats when, when the mandate came out or, or was, was over. But we have, because we're a K-12 school, we had a lot of kids that have never been to school without a mask. Just sort of our younger students that were coming in, when they came in during COVID, they don't know anything other than school with a mask on. And, you know, we still had students who were coming to school and, and obviously wearing a mask was a choice. But, you know, I think there was a lot of 
kind of emotional distress and damage that was caused over those COVID years with the lockdown, with isolation, with depression, with not being able to find resources, with not being able to have outside activities for our kids to be involved in. We had, you know, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I say like, you know, we, we had some students who really struggled during this time. And so I think one of our biggest challenges as a school was looking at everything through this empathetic lens that I think a lot of teachers had to be forced into, into using. So, you know, there's lots of articles out there over the course of the pandemic about teaching being one of, if not the most stressful jobs, probably second to first responders and medical professions. But those of us who really had to flip everything on its head about what we had learned about traditional teaching and traditional content delivery and learning how to do Zoom and then bouncing back and forth between we have some kids that were online and some kids that were quarantined and then those kids are back and just kind of keeping track of, of all of it. That was really a really big challenge for us. And shout out to the people that I work with because I didn't teach this year. And so I'm not going to sit here and say that was really tough for me. That was really tough for lots of other people. And they did a tremendous job balancing that and taking that on and really rolling with punches. And so I think teachers who are coming out of this are coming out, um, you know, stressed and fried and are really enjoying their summer vacation and rightly so. But I think they're coming out of this a lot more resilient and kind of battle tested. And, you know, knock on wood, we never have to do this again. But I think for those in the profession nationwide that were able to, to deal with, you know, what the past two and a half years was like, my, you know, challenge to them or my, you know, exhortion to them is if you made it this far, you can, you can make it for, you know, I know that there are teachers out there who are struggling, you know, with the loneliness and depression that our kids face as well. And so I think, you know, one of the things that we saw and one of the things that we wanted to build in to our life here was really kind of trying to bring back the morale of the school. And so much of teaching, I think, has been done in isolation. And I think for, you know, lots of reasons, for COVID reasons and contact tracing and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, I think one of the things that we were really intentional about this year was trying to figure out where we can find those shared spaces to be together, both as faculty and as students. And so I know I struggled this year as a first year principal in a new building and needing to, re, you know, learn what half of a face looked like. And then when the masks came off, what the whole face looked like. And, you know, I was sort of laughing, like I was meeting all these kids for the first time in March being like, oh, that's your face. Oh, okay. I didn't recognize like, you know, from the nose down, I hadn't seen it all year, but trying to find these places where we could put kids safely, where we could do social events, where we could have kids come to games, how we were going to redesign homecoming dances and all this kind of stuff that, that, that took a lot out of everybody, but it definitely was worth it. And then seeing where we could find those opportunities to meet as faculty and just commiserate and just either talk about school or not talk about school, but just sort of be together. That was the operating word, you know, for me this year is just sort of how do we find ways and places to, to be together? And it, admittedly, it was tough in, in the fall and in the winter. You know, in Connecticut, there definitely is an inside season. <laughs> and once it's inside season, it's really tough to go outside because it's, you know, pretty nasty outside. But, you know, our kids would stand outside in high 20s, low 30s degree weather for their mass break and hit around a volleyball that was sort of like hitting around a manhole cover in the wintertime 
but they loved it. And that was sort of like, you know, their socialization. And for middle school kids, for high school kids, finding those opportunities for them just to be together and goof around and laugh and find the lightheartedness in, in a school day. And in the wintertime in a school day that you wake up and it's dark and you go to school and it's dark and you leave the school and it's getting dark or you leave basketball practice and it's dark again. Finding those places where we could just kind of be together and laugh and have fun was was one of our biggest challenges, but also one of the things that was most important for us to, to find ways to overcome. Thank you for sharing those and for being so resilient and rolling with the punches. It sounds like you guys have obviously good leadership there. You have a good staff, as you already mentioned. So obviously a shout out to them as they are still there and they're still kicking butt and uh, taking names there. So I think it's the perfect segue into which those are even some cool things that are happening, but I'll give you a chance to brag on the school a little bit. You've been there a year. What do you see that's happening really good there that you're like, man, I am proud of this you know, thing that the school has done or a, the staff are doing, what are some cool things we can brag about? Yeah. <clears throat> so one of the great things about this school, I think is the, the great mix of tradition and new ideas and new thoughts that are coming in. So I work with two amazing guys who have been here almost since the founding of the school. Like they've been here for 40 plus years. And, and those two guys are one of the, they're two of the most humble guys that I've worked with. Um, they come obviously with a lot of institutional knowledge, but they're always looking to be like, hey, this is kind of how we used to do it, but is there a better way? And then I work with a great mix of people who are, you know, five years or less in the profession. And then, you know, so this is my first year here, but my 22nd, 21st year in uh, Christian ed administration specifically. So, you know, you don't want to be that guy that says constantly like, well, at my last school, we did X, Y, Z, but you want to kind of rely on a little bit of that and then take a little bit of the tradition that you have at this school and then see, you know, is the way that we've been doing it the best way. And I think what COVID did was it opened this window to say, okay, these are all the things that we've traditionally done. We've had to shut a lot of that stuff down. Now that it's coming back, can we look at it and say, is there a better way to do it? And, you know, one of the great things about the leadership here and the senior staff that I work with and the teachers that I work with, they are, have been great at saying, okay, this is the way that we've done this. However, is there a better way that we can do this learning what we have learned from COVID? You know, so like, for example, all of our, like a lot of school, all of our activities had to have some sort of outdoor requirement. So like this past year, we did our homecoming dance in the parking lot. And so when you think about, okay, as a senior, your homecoming dance is going to be in a parking lot. Like that's not the, the greatest place in the world, right? Like there's no rom-coms about, you know, Michael J. Fox didn't have homecoming in the parking lot, you know, like Teen Wolf was in the gym, right? So, but being able to say, no, we're going to transform this and we're going to make this really nice. It was the nicest parking lot homecoming I've ever been to. And so now we have students who are like, hey, can we do that? Like that looked really cool. Can we do that again? you know, seeing where we had to move events. We moved a lot of our events the past couple of years outside, you know, sort of around our property. And that really started some brand new traditions of saying, well, hey, let's rethink where we put this. It doesn't just have to be in the gym or just have to be, you know, in, in a church. We can, we can set up outside uh, and do it really well. So, you know, being able to, to, take our year year at a glance calendar and really go through that and go, just because we've done it this way over the X amount of years, doesn't mean we need to keep doing it that way. Um, and I think every school kind of goes through that cycle of, okay, we've done this this way 
for X amount of years. Have, did we do that just because that was the best? Did we do that because no one thought to think of, is there a better way to do it? COVID forced us into a lot of those questions and discussions. And, you know, I'm humbled to be able to work with a, a group of people who are coming to this going, this is the way we've done it forever. And this is the way we need to do it. They're actually coming going, this is the way we've done it for a long time. Is there any, can someone please come up with a better idea, <laughs> you know, to refresh this or, or to, to make sure that we're, um, you know, stress testing everything that we do so that we're doing it the best we can. And what, you know, one of the things that came out of that and, and I think was sort of a COVID byproduct was the faculty really wanting to take a lot of ownership in, in what the day-to-day -day looked like in the school. So I think one of the things that, that we do really well, and, and I totally stole this idea from a mentor of mine. Um, so this is not my genius idea, but when, when I was this past summer, you know, I'm unpacking the boxes and putting up my Michael Jordan posters in my office and like trying to figure out, okay, like, here we go. I had a, a, you know, day with, with a mentor friend of mine and was sort of sitting in his office and talking about all these different ideas and, you know, well, what should I do with this? And, you know, will the faculty want to do this? And, you know, what do you, and he just sort of sat there quietly and was sort of this sort of like smirk on his face. And he said, why don't you just ask them? I thought, well, that is just the greatest idea I've ever heard. Why don't we ask people what their opinions are? And so that two word phrase really has been sort of the, the foundation of how I wanted to structure this first year as a, as a principal is just sort of ask people opinions, ideas. So the first thing that we did as a faculty, you know, kind of piggybacking off of that and, all, and also from Simon Sinek's uh, book, Start With Why, um, I asked all the faculty, why are you here? And we sent out just a, a Google form and it was just a simple question, just why are you here? And so we took those statements and on our, on our doors outside of our classroom where we have like the, the room number and the teacher and everything there, uh, they're reprinted every year. So I took those why statements that the teachers provided and put that on the door. And so every day the kids coming into that door would see why that teacher has chosen to be a middle school science teacher or a upper school math teacher. And our colleagues would see why our other colleagues have chosen to be here. I have one on my door. And that reminded me every morning where I was slugging into work uh, after a tough night, what, what my actual motivation is for coming back every day. And so taking that piece of advice is just kind of ask them, ask them why, ask them why we're here. Big question. Why are you here? And then that boiled down into the little questions of why do we have this policy and why do we do this the way we do that? And, you know, part of that was me learning, but a lot of, a lot of that was also like, okay, are we just doing things because this is what's in the handbook and I didn't write the handbook, but I just have to follow it. Or is there a better way to do things? So, you know, modeling that for faculty of, I want them to ask questions of me because that makes me a better leader. You know, if I, want to change something and someone comes in and says, why do you want to do that? I better have a good reason um, to, to be able to defend to my faculty so that they can take it and go, okay, well, here's the reason why. Um, because, you know, you and I both know that just because is not a great reason. <laughs> so making sure that we have, you know, strong reasoning behind the changes that we make, 
if that's in dress code, if that's in curriculum, if that's in stop and start time, if that's in human resources policies, you know, wanting to kind of model that for the faculty that I, I, I want to ask why I want to know, but I also want them to feel comfortable enough to come in and go, Hey, so about that email that you just sent out, why are we changing this to that? Did we talk about this at all? And, and having a good, a good reason behind that. Um, and then secondly, one of the biggest things that I did was sort of abdicate a lot of my decision-making to, to committees because I was very open with them that if they are looking for a guy with all the answers, they hired the wrong guy. But if they are looking for a guy who could, uh, you know, kind of collect all the questions and then figure out the right people to answer those questions, then, then I'm that guy. And so one of the things that we did was at the beginning of the year, uh, we went through a SWOT analysis of sort of our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. And, you know, that was a great exercise. One, to show like, I, I want to know. And two, you're not going to insult me if you're going to say, hey, here are the list of 20 things that are going wrong. Um, because I want to know what's going wrong because we want to be able to work on them and fix them. But I was very clear to say, hey, thank you for all this. Just so you know, I'm not going to fix all this or any of this by myself. We're going to get some, some buy-in. And so creating these committees that spanned from admissions decisions to discipline decisions to student culture to faculty culture to curriculum changes, all that kind of stuff. I really wanted the right people, uh, not just on the bus, but in the right seats. You know, as Jim Collins says, you got to make sure they're on the bus, but they're in the right seats as well. So making sure that we gave the faculty the freedom to move around the bus and go to different seats was important for me as well. But also knowing that if a decision was to be made, it was going to go, a big decision was to be made. It was going to go to a committee because I, I work with a lot of smart people. And, you know, that that Steve Jobs quote of you hire smart people so that they can tell you what to do. You're not telling them what to do. That really kind of resonated with me. So, you know, a lot of institutional knowledge, a lot of smart people, a lot of very wise people, a great group of, of wise counselors is in this building. And I really wanted to make sure that I tapped into that. So, uh, I think that was probably the, the the smartest thing that I could do as a principal is to get other people to help me make decisions. Man, I have some good stuff to to go with what you said. But first, before I ask those, what's on your door? Why is Carl at the school? So the paraphrasing, my why is basically to partner with families and kids uh, as they as they grow up. You know, and that and partnership looks uh, different and almost on a daily basis, whether that's, you know, kind of pulling a kid aside and high five and going like, hey, man, I know you're struggling, but I just got a great report. And that's, you know, really well done, whether that's uh, pulling them aside and going like, hey, we need to tighten some stuff up. Um, partnership looks looks different to everybody. But I think my my biggest why the reason why I got into education I don't know, 2002, I think, and now we're in, in, in 2022. I had some people in my life growing up that I thought were really influential for me, some teachers and, and, and coaches, and didn't really recognize how influential they were until they were out of my life. And I was kind of deep into college and kind of figuring out, you know, what I wanted to be when I grew up and then realized, you know, I, I could go a couple different pathways. I wanted to see if I had it in me to make a kid feel like those coaches and teachers made me feel when I was growing up that, you know, not because I was the smartest guy or the, or the best athlete or whatever. I was 
I was above average slash mediocre at best, right? But they were able to figure out ways to connect with me and challenge me and pull out the best out of me, the best that they could and, and really kind of put me on, on this path. And so there was kind of a long time ago, a decision that I made to see like these people poured into my life. I want to pour into, into other people's eyes, because if, if, if I can make a kid feel a, a certain way, you know, the same way that that coach made me feel when he high fived me and said, Hey man, keep it up. Or that teacher, you know, said, Hey, you're not doing your best and you really need to buckle down. Um, those were impactful, impactful memories that I had. And, you know, I thought, how can I, uh, find something that will edify what I do as a Christian and have as most impact as I can in, in the world. And when those two Venn diagrams overlapped in the middle of it was, was teaching. I didn't really set out to, to be a principal. Um, that's sort of evolved. I just wanted to be in a classroom and impact kids and hang out and coach and teach and impart life lessons kind of here along the way. And, you know, 20 years later, here we are. So, you know, uh, so that's a why that would take up pretty much the whole hallway if you kind of printed that out. But, ultimately, you know, ultimately, my why is here to, to work with kids and families. I love it. And the two things I wanted to share um, that I thought were really good with what you with what you had already shared was you know, I love that those two older gentlemen that you'd mentioned are just they're they're open to change. They're open to these new things. And I feel like that's what hold up for for schools, for churches. I mean, I've seen it more so like in the church world that I you know had been in was like the biggest thing my church preached. And I love this is they would say, you know, the gospel never changes, but the way we do church is going to change. You know, we've got to reach the different age groups. And I think the same thing for schools. I've shared this on some of the other episodes before of, you know, the foundation of like, we're going to love kids. We're going to educate them with great stuff, but the way we're going to do school is probably gonna have to change over the years. We can't keep doing it the same old way. And I love that you guys are doing that. You're open to these new things, these new strategies like hey what is working right now that we can do maybe it's a different strategy to grow enrollment or a different way to grab teachers and get them to stay in the school and i love that so i love that you guys are very open to to that and then the second one i was going to share was when you shared the uh just 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 ask and i love that because <laughs> i was talking with the youth the youth pastor um, student pastor at the uh, church that i volunteer at and he was sharing with me one night he's like man, I just, our, our, um, our numbers have been down and I, I don't know like why they're not coming back. And some of them will come and it's been a couple of weeks and I don't know what's going on. And he's like, I'm just been asking some of the, you know, the other staff members and we're just kind of lost and confused. And I literally asked, I was like, did you ask the kids, you know? And he's like, no. <laughs> and he was like, the light bulb went off and he's like, I didn't do that. And yeah. I was like, I, would, and I was trying to be obviously nice because I was like trying right. to figure he was like, I would ask them because even if they tell you and they're not coming back, that's fine. Like we want to know, cause can, is it something we can fix? Is it something we can do? Is it something we can do uh, differently? And so he's like, I'm going to do that. He goes, I'm going to text them. I'm going to send out a thing. And I told him to do a survey and offer like a $50 game spot gift card or some type of gift card and say, Hey, everybody responds. We're going to pick a winner out of everybody who responds and give them a gift card. So you can push more responses. Cause I said, that's valuable. If you get yeah. their responses of why they're not coming, does it work? Is it whatever girlfriend, boyfriend? So uh, I love that. That was like such an obvious thing that I think people miss sometimes yeah. the obvious one right in front of them. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I love that. So this has been good. I would love before I close out with my last question, I wanted to hear um, for you guys, are you guys 
how has your school been doing with teacher retention and teacher recruitment? Has that been something you've been having to get new teachers or people been staying? And do you have any tips for anybody listening on that side? So it's, it's interesting you asked that question. So I subscribe to, you know, one of these subscription services that kind of gives you cliff notes of, of various books. And one of the books that just came across my, my email was a book called, I love it here. And I'm blanking on the name of the author, but he kind of talked about over the past couple of years, the number of people leaving their work and the reasons why. And vast majority of the people who are leaving are due to fixable reasons. So schedule conflicts or you know, relationship, it, it, it didn't have a lot to do with money, um, which is kind of what I thought people would leave a job for because I can get more money somewhere else. So when we talk about retention, um, you know, there isn't really anything that I can do in terms of giving people more money that's above my pay grade. But the things that I can do is making sure that uh, our teachers are uh, supported as best they can. Um, they are uh, shown that they're valuable and they are shown that I will treat them like an adult. And, you know, so I think one of the things that we had to start off early on because we had a lot of questions about kind of procedures and sign outs and, and, you know, what if I have to, you know, run to CVS and pick something up? Do I need to take a personal day or this kind of stuff? And I basically said, like, listen, I trust you, you know, like if we have seniors who have an open campus policy and we trust them to go to Starbucks on their study hall, I, I trust you. Um, and I don't have any reason not to trust you until you give me a reason not to trust you. And so I think being able to put that out early on really elevated or, or at least gave the teachers a sense that I, they, they were hired for a reason. I didn't hire any of them. I came in and I inherited everyone, but I inherited a great staff. And so that was kind of one of the things I said is, look, someone saw something in you and said, this person needs to work here. And I have to trust that they made the right decision. And I will uh, be affirmed in that decision based on you being a professional. I don't feel the need to check in on you. We don't do room checks at 3.30 and I you know, walk around and check to make sure everyone's lights are still on or that sort of thing. But that sort of naturally grew, uh, you know, the camaraderie and this kind of sticking around and hanging out and being in the halls afterwards actually kind of increased after we said like, hey, I'm not gonna check out your room and make sure you're signing out. So, you know, there's, there, there's a story that Simon Sinek says, you know, there's this factory where the workers had to go and like sign out the tools that they were using, as opposed to just taking what they needed to be successful. And so I wanted teachers to know, like, if you need to run to pick up your dry cleaning or drop something off, and that you need that to be successful, so you're not stressing out about that while you're teaching, then do that. Use the tools and resources that you have as an adult to be successful. And so hopefully, the you know, kind of tone and culture that we're setting is you're a professional, you're an adult, do your job. And we trust you to do that. So, and where that kind of falls into retention is I feel like that's building a culture of trust and building a culture of professionalism and building a culture where we want to help each other out. We're not looking to get each other in trouble. We're looking to support each other. I mean, there was so many times this year where we had you know, we were sort of like right on the border of, do we have enough people to staff a school today because of COVID and because of family issues and all this kind of stuff? And, you know, our subs and subs and subs are getting COVID and, you know, all this kind of thing. 
But every day we had people that were saying like, I'm already overloaded, but I'm going to step in and help somebody else out because I know that they would do the exact same for me, or they've already done the exact same for me. I think that foundation is built on trust and built on knowing that everyone in this building has the best interest of everyone else in mind. And when you have the best interest of everyone else in mind, you know that everyone has your best interest in mind. So it's sort of like, you, it's interesting you talk about that youth group, you know, it's like that old youth group, like icebreaker exercise where you all stand in a circle and everyone sits on each other all at once. And like the person in front of you is sitting on you, but you're sitting on someone behind you. That I feel like that's kind of like where we were. We were all supporting each other and being supported by somebody else at the same time. So, you know, if I'm supporting a teacher, I'm being supported by my admin assistant or by another administrator. And even though this year was really tough, I feel like our faculty really rallied around and really kind of, in, you know, enjoyed the, the struggle because we were struggling together and, and really kind of rowing all in the same direction. So what that means for retention, everybody wants to come back and wants to be part of that. And, you know, every year we have people who retire and people that, you know, are, are moving or job changes or things like that. But this year, the people that were leaving were leaving for really great reasons. They weren't leaving because we messed something up or we didn't treat them with respect. And, you know, they were able to say goodbye well and gracefully, and we were able to pray for them and bless them in their journey, but also kind of look back and say like, yeah, we did it. You know, like we really rallied together and, you know, we used the analogy of climbing a mountain. There were times that that mountain climb was tough. You know, that that was steep and blizzardy, and we thought that the summit was right around the corner, as in, and it wasn't, and we had to just keep climbing on. And we felt it this year, but we also kind of felt the, the joy of coming down that mountain together and sitting in the parking lot and taking off our hiking boots and going, man, we just did that. You know, and looking back at, at what we did, and I use that analogy because we did that with some of our upperclassmen in the fall. We climbed Mount Katahdin. I will say they climbed Mount Katahdin. I was crawling on my hands and knees, begging for mercy going up that thing. But what a great analogy of, you know, doing something tough and doing it together. And the feeling that you get that sort of shared suffering, it was really exciting for our teachers, for me to see that everyone wanted to come back and, and do that again. And so I credit the faculty and the people that I work with a thousand percent with their attitudes and their, their humility and really creating that environment. You know, the faculty room was a fun place to be and not all schools are like that. You know, my office was for all intents and purposes, a fun place to be and just sort of sit and crash and talk and complain and vent, but ultimately problem solve and figure out, okay, how do we do whatever problem we are facing, how do we do it better? How do we fix it? And how do we get people to, to rally around that? So it's always, uh, you know, a tough thing for administrators to figure out how we're going to balance that retention with faculty, with families, with students and, you know, full-time employees and budgets and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think the only thing that a principal can't do is shoot himself in the foot and give people reasons to go because the reasons are, they're already out there. What we need to do is really show like, what are our reasons to stay? And, you know, this job is really tough, but we had faculty who loved being here and loved serving together and kind of grinding it out this year. Love it. 
Well, you've been doing this for, you said, about two decades, 20 years. And as the last question, I lead off, giving you a chance to share any piece of wisdom or advice for other school leaders listening in. 20 years of education. If you narrowed it down to one piece of advice, what would it be, Carl? You cannot feel like you're the only guy who's got to solve the problems. And, and I'm saying that for myself because that's sort of my default mode of like default, give me the emails, give me the problems and let me solve it. And for a while in different positions at different schools, I was the guy or I could be the guy to solve these kind of smaller problems and fix things and orchestrate things. But as a principal, that's not your role. Your role is to say, you know, okay, this is the problem or this is the, the issue that we're facing. How do we as a staff come around and, and do this? Because uh, I could very easily sit in this office and bang out emails and send them to people and say, this is what I want you to do. But I'm not the one who's doing them. Those are going to other people. So sure, that's easy, uh, but that's not right. What's right is getting the people in the room that need to be in the room to make those decisions. And that's time consuming. And that means having a couple meetings after work. And that means having a meeting before work. But that ultimately means the people who are going to be part of that problem are invested in finding that solution. And so I think that would be my biggest piece of advice is build your teams, surround yourself with great people, surround yourself with people who will tell you you're wrong, surround yourself with people who will say there's a better way and let me show you and, and shut your mouth and learn from those people. And they ultimately want their principal to be the best principal because that makes their job easier. And ultimately the principal wants people who are in his or her building who will say, no, I've got an idea. This is a better way to do it. Or, you know, have you ever thought about this avenue? and really check that power because that's what's going to make you a better leader solid advice and i just want to give you some kudos real quick before we, we sign off i can see your passion for students and education and and your staff i see it i feel it so i hope that they i mean obviously it sounds like they do as well from you so keep up doing keep doing what you're doing uh keep loving those students loving those teachers and the staff and obviously i'm wishing you nothing but the best i'm a huge fan of you guys from uh you're down here in Florida to you up in Connecticut. So thank you for taking time and being on the podcast and sharing some of your expertise and your knowledge. And hopefully from ever in Connecticut, get together, grab a cup of coffee sometime. Yeah, man. We appreciate it. We have a cafe in the school. You can come right to school and get the cafe, the best in the, in the city right in here. Love it. Thank you, Carl. Appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. Well, another huge shout out and a thank you to Carl for taking time and being on the podcast today. I loved our chat. I love what he's doing at Christian Heritage School, and I'm wishing him and the school nothing but the best as they continue to grow and educate the next generation that's coming behind us. And if you were listening to today's episode and you learned something new, awesome, because that is what this podcast is for. And I'm hoping, as always, you're able to take at least one thing from today that you can take back to your school to make it better than it is right now. That is what the School Success Podcast is for, is to help you grow, help you learn more, and help you learn from people all over the country that are in education just like yourself. If you're a school that needs help growing enrollment or finding ways to connect better with your families, we are the ones that can help you and we'd love to hear from you. You can check us out online, schoolsuccessmakers.com. That's schoolsuccessmakers.com. Or if you're a Facebook user, check out our private Facebook group, just for school leaders called School Success Makers. That is School Success Makers on Facebook, private group just for school leaders. I'd love to personally see you in there. We'll be here next week with another amazing guest as usual on the School Success Podcast. We'll see you then.